Let's, uh, let's read from John chapter 4 together. Um, and uh, if you're using the, uh, the Bible in the back of your seats, it's on page 1008. I'm going to read from verses 43 down to the end of the chapter, 54. After two days, he left for Galilee, that's Jesus. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that prophets have no honor in their own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had, all seen, they had seen all that, that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met with him, met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. It's the word of God. And it talks about Jesus and uh, how he performs miracles. And uh, John describes these miracles in John's gospel, as I'm sure you know, as a sign. Sign of things which speak about who he is and draw us into, um, into faith. Um, actually, the, the version of the Bible I'm using here that's on the screen is the, uh, is the latest version, the NIV, so it's slightly different to the one I've just, just read, but uh, everything I'll see is, is kind of up here on the screen. It says, um, it said in verse 43, after two days he left Galilee, and Jesus pointed out to folks um, that uh, a prophet has no honor in his own country, which, which sounds like a strange thing for John to record right alongside verse 45, where he says, when he arrived in Galilee, they, they welcomed him. Now, it doesn't seem to sit very well, very easily together. Uh, Jesus saying, I'm not going to be um, honoured in my home country. And then he goes there, and what John records is that they welcomed him. I suppose one of the key things, really, that's uh, at first glance, that, that, appears, that appears quite strange, a bit contradictory as well, but one of the things that I think that Jesus and John is pointing out here is that uh, to welcome Jesus is not necessarily the same thing as to honour Jesus. It's not necessarily the same thing. John is uh, continuously exploring all the way through his gospel this question of what it means to have faith in Jesus. What it means to have living, growing, maturing faith in Jesus that it that it is faith that, uh, that leads to eternal life. Faith that's saving faith. Not just merely superficial faith. Not, not merely faith that's, that's kind of interested on the surface. But faith actually is, is deeper, that is concerned about who Jesus is and, and, and uh, commits to put trust and faith in him. And in John 20, I'm sure you looked at this, um, John, John kind of 
gives us real clear indication as to why he writes his gospel, why he writes it in the way that he does, why he talks about these signs, these signs and wonders, which he describes as signs. It says in John 20, verse 31, these miraculous signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And John's constantly looking at this issue of, um, of people coming and encountering Jesus. And as they approach him and encounter him, what's, uh, what does their faith look like? How do they exercise faith in him? What barriers are there to faith in Jesus? And I guess even just at the chapters that you've looked at, you'll see situations where John has explored this whole idea of people coming where there's a, there's a welcome, there's an interest even, there's a curiosity, but there's also barriers to faith. And how are these barriers removed, dealt with, so that that faith might deepen and grow and become a life-saving faith? And so in John chapter 3, you'll have read about Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who comes to Jesus at night under the cover of night. And, uh, and there's barriers to a deepening, growing faith for Nicodemus in Jesus. And some of those barriers are theological. So there's a, there's a debate about theology, a debate about questions, a debate about uh, how you can be born again. So he addresses those questions of Jesus. There's also a, a barrier of um, maybe embarrassment. He is a Jewish religious leader. And Jesus, although kind of reluctantly considered to be someone who has a prophetic voice, is definitely an outsider. And to welcome Jesus, there's, really, there's a barrier to overcome there for him, that his faith might deepen and grow. And you see, for Nicodemus, you don't immediately get the, the answer there. Does, does, are these barriers overcome immediately for him? You're left with a question. What happens to Nicodemus' faith? What happens to his curiosity? You have to read on, on chapter 7. In the synagogue, there's a debate about Jesus. How do we handle him? How do we deal with him? Do we accuse him? Do we condemn him? And we see Nicodemus standing up and speaking up for Jesus in the, in the synagogue. An indication there that faith is, faith is maturing and growing. And in John chapter 20, is it 20? Chapter 19, where Jesus, after his death, has been taken from the cross and placed in a tomb. Nicodemus is present. Nicodemus is there, handling his body. And you see signs there. That that conversation with Jesus, albeit that there was barriers to overcome, and perhaps they took time for faith, for, for Nicodemus, it produced a deepening, maturing faith in his life, which is wonderful to see over the course of time. In John chapter 4, you'll, you already read about the, uh, the Samaritan woman, not a Jew, a Samaritan, the woman at the well. For her, the f barriers to her faith, stuff like um, you know, her culture, you have one faith. We have a different kind of faith. You have one place to worship. We have a different place to worship. A bit like today, if it was, uh, you know, speaking to a, a Buddhist or a Muslim about faith in Jesus, that huge barrier of, I, I'm from this tribe, I'm this kind of person, and, and, and you're something completely different. You've got all that to overcome. Barriers to faith. And I guess for us... Um, that question, as we look at Jesus encountering different people, for her also the personal shame of her life. A real barrier there as well. And for, for, for us, as we encounter people in our lives who will have their own barriers to faith, some of them may 
Jesus may deal with instantaneously, immediately. Some may take time over a long period of time. For some folks in our lives, our friends, our work colleagues, it might be questions of faith, questions of theology, questions, the big questions of life about how Jesus you know, fits into the whole thing. You know, it may be that we come from a different tribe, a different culture. You're, you're one thing, we are another. And Jesus, faith in Jesus is just something totally alien and different. And do we, need, do we ever need the discernment of the Holy Spirit? That like Jesus, we might speak truth into the circumstances of people's life. That faith might deepen and grow. We do, don't we? We need that discernment of the Holy Spirit. Because we, we all have issues that are barriers to faith. And they're different for different people. And in this situation here, it says, uh, what is the barrier to faith here growing? And Jesus says um, in verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders. I think it's maybe on the next slide. Unless you people see signs and wonders, um, Jesus told them, you, you will never believe. It's perhaps on the next slide. Um, sorry. And the barrier here is this, um, is this barrier, I want to call consumerism. A kind of approach to Jesus that's, that's consumeristic. Um, it's not questions of theology Jesus is, is highlighting here it's not questions of kind of embarrassment about hanging out with Jesus because I'm a Jewish religious leader and that's going to be an incredibly uncomfortable thing for me to do to be seen with Jesus it's not barriers necessarily of personal shame like the woman at the well uh, who's got a, a lifestyle that she doesn't necessarily want to be exposed to faith in Jesus for here Jesus talks about coming back to his home country and his hometown the issue here is that people want to welcome him because of the signs and wonders they have seen him do in Jerusalem at the Passover. And they welcome him because they want to see more signs and wonders when he comes back home. They want to consume the signs and wonders that Jesus has done. And Jesus is talking here, he's really highlighting kind of a conditional relationship that people want to have with him. Unless you're getting satisfied by the signs and wonders that you see me do and want to see more of them. He says something quite startling. You'll never believe your faith will never deepen and grow. Because your faith is based on this whole notion that, that I am to you someone who is like Dynamo, the magician. Someone who is a magic guy. Someone who will entertain you. And you've seen me entertain you in Jerusalem at the Passover and do incredible signs and wonders. And you want to see more. And uh, there's a, on this uh, next slide here, there's a, there's a picture of the magician that I'm talking about. Some of you guys will be familiar with, with a magician called Dynamo. And this was, this was in London a couple of years ago where he kind of recreated the whole idea of walking on water. And a crowd gathered. It was an unannounced um, kind of magic show, if you like. So you can see people on the bridge there opposite the House of Parliament. And people were drawn to see the signs and wonders. And, and Jesus is saying, um, there, is, um, there is an attitude that will be a barrier to faith in me growing and deepening if your approach to me is a bit like the way you approach Dynamo. If you look at me as Jesus, the entertainer, and uh, so for as long as you're being entertained by me, you'll want to come and watch. 
So for as long as you keep performing for me, Jesus, and doing these miraculous signs and wonders, I'll welcome you to my town, I'll pay for a ticket, and I'll come and watch. Okay, the kind of thing Jesus is talking about here is the kind of consumerism of of Jesus that is that is the sort of thing where, well, you know, um, it's my Jesus for my life to bring my satisfaction for me. And Jesus says, if that's our approach to Him, our faith will never deepen, and will never grow. It will never find maturity. It will never take him seriously for who he is. We will only be satisfied with him as long as we find him entertaining and curious and someone who's doing good stuff and, and kind of um, bringing a thrill to my life. That's the kind of consumerism that Jesus is warned about here. Jesus is exposing in this group of people a kind of me-centered, consumerist attitude to him that will be a significant barrier to them growing and maturing in their faith. He's talking about a situation. He's talking about faith where he's not merely welcomed as, as someone to come and do signs and wonders in their presence. But he's looking for them to, to honor him in such a way that they will trust him and obey him and follow him as Lord, not just as the evening's entertainment. Does that make sense? There are barriers to deepening faith. And when Jesus went back home to Galilee, the issue, was, the issue wasn't that people weren't prepared to welcome him. Oh, come, Jesus, come. We'll even give you a stage to perform on. The issue was that they wanted to have themselves at the life, at the center of their lives. And Jesus was the person who would add something, add some value, add some significance, add a bit of entertainment, add a bit of spiritual excitement to their life. And I suppose the danger of consumerism is there in Galilee, in Cana, and it's there really in every generation um, ever since. And I guess, I mean, one of the things that I was thinking when I was preparing this, this talk for this, um, for this passage in, in, John, in John's Gospel is that it's actually a significant danger to the life of the church in our generation today. It is a significant barrier to deepening, growing faith in our generation and perhaps even in our churches. Even churches like churches in Lim and in Stockton Heath, where our lives are full of activity, full of stuff, full of busy jobs, families, amazing opportunities and prospects all around us, careers that can blossom and grow, lots of stuff we can invest in and invest our time in. I suppose the real danger is the danger of Jesus being um, a kind of spiritual added extra to our life. Someone we kind of bolt on to the weekend or whenever we've got time for him. And I guess it can be, it can be contrasted by, um, you know, this idea that perhaps once when you first came to know and love the Lord, you can perhaps reflect back on a time where 
your attitude to Jesus was very much, Lord, it's, it's all for you. All of my life, all of my heart, all of my resources, all of my desires, all of my time, it's all for Jesus. And so when Jesus calls us to do something, we say, Lord, you're speaking, I'm your servant, I will go. When Jesus speaks to us, we say, Lord, I'm listening, and I will obey. And perhaps at some point, when our lives get cluttered with other stuff, it is just so tempting, isn't it, for Jesus to lose that central, fundamentally central place in our lives. And Jesus kind of slips from the place of being Lord of all and fundamentally Lord of my life, where what Jesus says we will do, where Jesus sends we will go. And Jesus becomes a bit part player, someone to bring us peace and comfort and joy and satisfaction, someone we will worship on a Sunday. But there is that danger, I guess, for all of us, that Jesus moves from the place where he calls us to place him, which is, I am your Lord and your God. Does this have resonance at all? It's, it's, it's an issue. It's an issue for me. And I think it's an issue for, for Christians in the UK all over the place. Lord Jesus calls us to a fundamentally thoroughgoing, radical relationship where we say, Lord Jesus, you are Lord of all. And that's the place that our faith will deepen and grow and deepen and grow and deepen and grow as we trust and obey him. The, uh, the royal official comes to Jesus. It says in verse 46, there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. And uh, it's, almost, it's almost certain that this royal official is um, from the, the royal household or the local royal household of Herod um, Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee. Um, in all probability, the man was a Gentile, which is interesting. But if you think about the way the book of Acts um, speaks about how, how the church will grow from from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And you think about John chapter 3, you have Jesus encountering and speaking to a Jewish leader. In John chapter 4, it's a Samaritan woman. And at the end of John chapter 4, he's speaking to, in all probability, he's speaking to a Gentile. And the church is expanding. The faith is expanding um, through people. Herod um, was the tetrarch between 4 BC and 39 AD. He was the, he was the chap who beheaded John the Baptist. Luke chapter 9, he's the guy who Jesus calls that fox um, in Luke chapter 13. And he is the man whom, um, in, that, in the trial of Jesus, Jesus refuses to answer um, in, in Luke 23. And it's from that royal household that this, this man comes to ask of Jesus. His boy has a, a severe fever. Read about that in verse 52. Um, and it's a fever that clearly seems to be run out of control and his boy is at the point where it's obvious that he's going to die shortly. And he comes to Jesus. And in verse 47, it says, When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him. And uh, on the next slide there, you can see um, Capernaum and, uh, and Cana. He travels up from Capernaum to, to Cana in Galilee to see Jesus. Uh, Capernaum is, um, you can see the picture there. It's on the shore of the inland um, lake, really, the Sea of Galilee, 
which sits at a very low level, a few hundred um, feet below sea level, actually. And he travels about 14 miles uphill, really, to, to Cana, which is in the, um, in, the, in the hill country in Galilee. Why would he have come to Jesus from Capernaum? Why would this man have come up to, to look out for Jesus? Well, he may have heard about him. But also it's interesting because, because Jesus, he might actually have met and seen Jesus perform miracles in Capernaum. Jesus was in Capernaum before that. And uh, this is a place where Jesus heals the centurion's servant. Read about that in, in Matthew 8. And also Peter's mother-in-law is healed in Capernaum. And the paralytic man, Matthew 9, that's in Capernaum as well. And in all probability, that Jairus' daughter, that's in the same part of, same part of Matthew's gospel, she was probably raised in, in Capernaum too. So he came to the man of signs and wonders um, to ask him to do another one for his son. And he comes to Jesus. And it says in 47 and 48, when this man came, it's on the next slide, um, when this man came, heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. In verse 48, Jesus says to this man, probably with a view to the crowd gathered as well, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now that that seems quite harsh. Because he says this to this chap who's come up from Capernaum, 14 miles, his son is at the point of death. He's looking to Jesus to bring Jesus back down from Cana, down to Capernaum to heal his son And Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. But remember here, what Jesus is doing, he's got the big picture. And Jesus is trying to encourage and provoke faith in him that will go deeper than merely another miracle. Now the miracle is important to this chap. But Jesus is aware here that people can ask for miracles in distress. And even when God does a miracle in somebody's life, do you know what? It doesn't always necessarily lead to deeper faith. You ever experienced that? We've seen that quite a few times. And it sometimes is amazing and shocking and you pray for something to happen in someone's life and maybe even they pray along with you. And God does a miracle. And sometimes you just look at the situation and you think, why why in the world doesn't that build and develop deeper faith? Why has that just come, been consumed and gone without building and, and developing deeper faith? And what Jesus has in mind for this guy is that he's not another one of those situations where he does a miracle in someone's life, they consume it, and they simply just pass on to life just carries on then. He wants his life to be deepened and changed by faith. And not only his life, but Jesus has in view for this guy, not only him and his son, but for his whole household. He's got a bigger vision in mind here. And uh, it's remarkable. Not simply a healer on demand is Jesus. Verse 50, it says, Jesus says to the man, go. 
Jesus replied, you're, it's on the next slide, sorry. Jesus says, go, your, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and, and departed. And Jesus here invites and challenges this man to, to a deeper, more trusting faith in him. Actually, he's saying to the man, you're asking me to come down with you and do what you've seen me do before. To come near the sick person, to touch your son, perhaps to pray over him and to command that healing go in, in my name. And Jesus says to the man, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to say he has been healed from, from 14 miles away. I'm going to say to you, he has been healed. Do you trust me? I'm going to ask you to trust me and stop pleading with me to come and take me back to where he is and lay hands on him. And pr- I'm going to ask you to trust me. I'm going to ask you to start walking in faith. And trust me that from here, 14 miles away, your son has been healed. Now go, walk in faith. Trust me. And start walking. And there's unspoken questions here. Jesus is really asking this man, do you trust me for this? Is your faith going to go deeper? Is your faith going to go stronger? Who do you think could do something like this? And the amazing thing here is that the man took Jesus at his word. And he departed. And uh, with trust and then obedience, with no visible guarantees right there and then, he left and trusted Jesus. And uh, and that's one of the the ways in which Jesus um, calls us to follow him and trust him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's the call of Jesus to all of us, to deepen and grow our faith. And uh, if you're reading God's word, if you're spending time um, around the person of God, if the Holy Spirit is speaking, for you in your walk of faith right now, God is speaking to you. God is seeking to grow and develop and strengthen your faith. And I guess the question is, what is God speaking to you about right now? How is God seeking to move you on in faith? What's God asking you to do? How's God asking you to respond to him? What's God pointing out in your life, perhaps, um, sin or attitudes or stuff that needs to be dealt with in Jesus' name, that needs to come before the Lord? What is God speaking to you about today? That he's calling from you a deeper faith, a trusting faith, that you might walk by faith and not by sight. And how will we respond to Jesus? And how we choose to respond will mark a, a relationship where, a bit like a corkscrew, Jesus continuously asks us to respond to him all the way through our, our walk of faith. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Listen to God speak and respond in obedience and in faith that we might go deeper and deeper and deeper into him. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to see this man who begins this uh, deepening relationship with God by trusting and obeying. Verse 51, it says, while he was still on the way, um, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. 
when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, in the afternoon, the fever left him. And in verse 53, then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. You know, the amazing thing is that Jesus always had in mind for this man, even when he was speaking to him in a way that seemed harsh to us, when he was saying, you people are always seeking signs and wonders. And unless you get them, you won't believe. And he's provoking and challenging this man to put deeper faith in him. Because he knew that if this man did, it would not only affect him and his boy, but it would affect his whole household. They would be touched by faith. They'd be touched by a miracle that Jesus did. And this man is someone who has moved in faith through this passage. He's welcomed Jesus. He's obeyed him. He's realized in verse 53 that God has been at work through faith in him. And he's believed. Deepened faith that's based on the experience of trust in Jesus and discovering personally that Jesus is true to his word. We can put our trust in him. When we step out in faith for him, we can put our life in his hands. So those, those kind of radical thoughts that you have when you, perhaps when you first came to faith, or even those fleeting thoughts from time to time, that when you think, what would it really be like? Let's just think about this for a sec. What would it really be like for us genuinely to put our life in Jesus' hands as though he were Lord of all? As though he knew what was best for us. As though he loved us endlessly and sacrificially. As though he was truly good. What would it look like for us to say, Lord, you are Lord of my life. What you say, I will obey and do. Where you send, I will obey and go. What could that look like? What could that kind of faith look like in our lives? And not only for us personally and for our families, but Jesus will always have in mind that as our faith deepens like a corkscrew into him, our faith will also overflow into the lives of other people. As we're able to testify that Jesus is amazing, not only objectively, but I personally have put my trust and faith in Jesus. And what he said, I did. And where he sent, I went. And what I've discovered is that God is good. What I've discovered is that God changes lives. And what we, see, what we read about here is the impact of, of one man who put his faith in Jesus and he stepped out in faith. He walked in faith. And as he did, just almost like the, um, the other people from his household came and met him halfway to say, your son has been healed. Your faith has been well placed. Jesus has brought healing. And when he gets back home, they're able to rejoice and testify that the person who's done this is the Lord Jesus. And that overflows into the life of, of people around them. 
And I want to just encourage you as I encourage myself today. But this, this man is a, is a great picture of someone who, um, who overcomes within a culture of consumerism. Where people are only interested in Jesus for what they can get out of him. Where people are only interested in his in that in that place, they're only interested in in Jesus kind of performing for them. And Jesus calls him to something deeper, something more significant. And not only does that bless him, but it blesses those around him as well. Let's uh, let's um, let's have our eyes open to the danger and the possibility of looking at Jesus in a really consumerist kind of way. I don't know, I might just be speaking to myself here. I, I don't know whether you guys find that a problem or a potential issue in your life, where um, Jesus potentially is a bit like a bolt on extra. And Jesus is calling us and provoking us and challenging us to recognize that he is not your evening's entertainment, but he is your God and your Lord. And he's not only come to seek and to save the lost, but he's come to be the Lord of our lives. And he says to each of us, come, follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Lay aside the kind of me-centered stuff. And put me right at the heart of your life. And trust me as your Lord. And what you will discover, Jesus says to us, is the paradoxical thing. Is that when we are emptied, we are filled up. When we sacrifice and give our lives away to him, we are filled with the goodness and the blessing of God. Does that make sense? It really only makes sense when you know Jesus and you trust him. And you take steps of faith to walk by faith and not by sight because it doesn't really make sense any other way we live in a in a grasping me-centered kind of world where to get the most out of everything we really put ourselves right at the heart of the whole thing and jesus calls us to live in a new way a new and living way where jesus is lord he said in verse 54 this is the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea um, to Galilee. And these signs are clearly meant in John's Gospel not to be an end in themselves, not just to be kind of, oh, that's a really fascinating, interesting thing that Jesus did. I'd like to see more of that. Jesus does these incredible miracles and blesses people in doing them. But there's a deeper, significant reason that he's wanting us all to catch as we look at Jesus performing these miracles. He's wanting us to know that the person who is doing this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And all power and authority are in him and in his hands. And that we can trust him. We can trust him with our life. We can trust him with our families. We can trust him with our present. We can trust him with our future. We can trust him with the shame of our past we can trust him with our death and life into eternity. These signs are indications of who Jesus is. And he calls us, as he calls you today, 
to a deeper faith, a more deeper fundamental faith where Jesus is at the heart of our lives. Let's cast aside um, consumerism and take hold of a new radical reality. Jesus is Lord. Amen.